Veni, Veni, Venias, and welcome to our podcast. Good evening, and welcome to Ask a Medievalist. I'm M, the Ask portion of our program, and joining me tonight, as always, is Dr. Jesse Noose. Hello! So, Jesse, what's your favorite type of chocolate? Ooh, oh my gosh. Favorite type of chocolate? Mm-hmm. I wasn't forewarned about this. Oh, yeah. Um, I like oh. crunch bars a lot. I don't know why, it's just kind of a thing. Crunch bars are delicious. Yeah. Um, I I have, I think it just depends on, let's see, what is the thing one wants at certain times given, you know, like the time of year or one's current mood, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes it's like special dark Hershey's. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's like the truly dark chocolate, you know, that you can get in candy shops that sell like dark chocolate from Europe. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, sometimes, yeah, Crunch Bar, Kit Kat. Kit Kat. The many flavors of Kit Kat that you can get. Yes. I have really been excited by the dark chocolate Kit Kats, actually. I think those are yes. pretty nice. Oh, I love them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then there's like the dark chocolate mint. Yeah. So great. Um, I got to say also, when I was in the hospital around Christmas, uh, we got ice cream Snickers bars from their little ooh. deli that they keep around for hungry EMTs, I think. Yeah, yeah. And those are delicious. Ha. Ice yes. cream Snickers. And I have to say, like, I always get, um, you know, the Hershey's, um, I mean, the Halloween little mini bar mm-hmm. collections. Yes. Right. And they have the the best ones, right? So like crackle <laughs> and the regular milk and then the special dark. Yes. But then they also, of course, have the Mr. Good Bar, which it seems like sort of nobody likes, but always like they also disappear first somehow. Yes. So because yes. <laughs> it's like it's p- just peanuts and chocolate. Mm-hmm. What's that to like? Right. Yeah. OK. But um. Oh, there's so many, you know, then you get Dove chocolate sometimes. Yes, Dove makes very, very good chocolate for American chocolate. Yeah. Um, But, okay, so now that I have kids, I can perform the parenting ritual of stealing my children's Halloween candy after they go to bed, which, you know. Um, But today... Tootsie Rolls. Yes, (laughs) Tootsie Rolls. (laughs) Today, um, we're going to talk about candy. Yes. And other types of sweet treats that people might have for Halloween. Yes. These are before the days when you put puffed rice in your chocolate or before you had chocolate. I mean, we're actually Mm -hmm. staying a little bit away from chocolate, which, of course, is the Americas. Right. Um, Not quite being brought back to Europe yet. And the way they drank it in in the Americas was... Yeah. Not bitter. quite the way that we tend to expect it, right? Yeah, bitter, because they didn't necessarily do it with sugar, mm-hmm. certainly not the way we do it today. Hot peppers, sometimes. Right. And then, of course, also what happens is the idea that way you add milk solids, right? Mm-hmm. And then that's what makes European chocolate different from Hershey's, right, which becomes so famous. Um, Hershey, the funny thing is, like, he did sort of, I don't know, research? Do you call it research? He certainly knew Europe. Mm-hmm. He knew chocolate in Europe. Um, he started as a caramel maker, I think. So he made other candies, and then he decided he was going to do chocolate. Okay. 
This is Mr. Hershey like, of Hershey, Pennsylvania fame. Yeah. Well, right. It's named for him. <laughs> he was from small, like, Pennsylvania Dutch. Okay. Family. And I think spoke Pennsylvania Dutch, which is, of course, German. Um, I mean, a form of it. And, um, yeah, so he started really, you know, so in the 1900, I think, was his first actual chocolate sale. Um, but he went off to Europe. You know, he looked around. Um, he was amazingly... Supposed to come home on the Titanic. He bought himself a super freaking expensive couple hundred dollars. I think like three hundred dollars. I don't know. Which today is like thousands of dollars, like seven thousand yeah. dollars. Anyway, he bought himself a stateroom, but didn't come back. Decided to stay in Europe. <laughs> luckily. Yeah, um, I guess so. I mean, luckily for American chocolate, I guess. But famously, like the way Europe does milk solids, it's a little more sour. Mm-hmm. And the way Hershey does them, it's not. Um, and so this is why, like, a lot of times in Europe, they'll be like, oh, well, American chocolate is too sweet. But that's not exactly – I mean, American chocolate can be too sweet just because of extra sugar and stuff. Mm-hmm. But the difference, like, Belgian chocolate, it's um, – it is a slightly different flavor, the little bit sourness. Whereas Hershey's, it's just so smooth. Mm-hmm. Right? There's nothing – it's not to say that there's more sugar, but also there's nothing interrupting it. Yeah. Right, there's no none of that little sourness to like offset it. Um, so yeah, so Hershey's of course has this very famous taste, <laughs> which is, you know, rightfully sort of famous. Right. Um, you can all probably conjure it in your heads if you think about it. But if yeah. you want to pause the podcast and go get a piece of chocolate right now, we'll yes, we'll be here when it. you get back. Yes, yeah, and it is sort of unique because even for other sort of American made like your deli, of course, um, out of you know, now out of San Francisco, it's, you know, Italian name, of course, Ghirardelli. Um, that is a little bit different. You know, there are a lot of companies that spring up in the U.S. that do make chocolate more on the European style. Mm-hmm. But when people say American chocolate, they mean Hershey's, Hershey's and what it does. Um, yeah, and it is, of course, very fair to say, like, yeah, chocolate's from the Americas. It takes Europe to add the sort of sugar the way we do and the milk solids the way we do to get chocolate as we mm-hmm. think of it today. Um, but yeah, all that happens, of course, once the early modern era has hit. Um, so we are going to talk about sweet things, kind of pre-chocolate, unfortunately, which is super sad because once upon a time, (laughs) there was no chocolate with sugar. That's true. But there are still a lot of interesting things that they were doing. Oh, so many delicious things. There's still pastry chefs in France. There's oh, still, yes. you know, all sorts well, of... Well, basically, there's still sugar. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to go wrong. Yeah. Right? Um, I was actually thinking, as I was sort of doing some of this, writing down the outline and stuff, how much candy do I eat that isn't chocolate-related? Mm-hmm. And the answer is, there are some things I love, peppermint, butterscotch, but I don't necessarily buy them a lot mm-hmm. in the same way. Right? And when I give stuff out on Halloween, it is definitely chocolate-based. Like, I feel yeah. that is the high class of candy to give out, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> um, nothing against people who would prefer to give out butterscotch. That's great, you know? Or maybe, like, I don't know, like Mike and Ike's or Twizzlers, right? So there's certainly things that aren't sweet chocolate-based. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sour Patch Kids. You know, some people are allergic to chocolate mm-hmm. or just don't like it, obviously. Um, but yeah, I, chocolate has become very ubiquitous in an interesting way, even though we all still, of course, eat things with sugar that aren't yeah 
chocolate. Um, so we will talk about some of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is a sort of obviously Halloween-ish fall episode. Um, we'll talk about also the the part of s'mores <laughs> that isn't the chocolate. Yes. The marshmallow. So that is, um, I'm going to say, probably the type of candy that isn't chocolate that I eat the most of. That seems totally, yes. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think probably for me too. Yeah. Um, but we did talk, so episode 18, mm-hmm. um, we discussed Halloween in general. So if people are looking for that, right? Sort of what is Halloween? It's the way it's syncretized with Day of the Dead in the Americas. The way Halloween today is really a U.S. holiday. Mm-hmm. Halloween as we think of it today is very much a U.S. holiday, but where did it come from? Um, and we talked also about sort of trick-or-treating. So now we're going to really break this down. This episode will be about treats, uh, and we will have a future episode about tricks. But um, basically, mumming and guising um, was essentially kind of where one of the places that trick-or-treating started. Um, performers would disguise themselves, guising, right? Um, and sort of perform from door to door. So we talk about this in, in episode 18. Um, and this would happen sort of around All Souls Day. Halloween, of course, All Hallows' Eve. It is the evening before All Saints' Day. <laughs> On November 1st, which is followed by All Souls Day on November 2nd, right? So All Hallows' Eve, All Hallows, right, Hallows, something that is hallowed, yes. sainted, right? So that's All Saints' Day. So October 31st, the evening before All Saints' Day on November 1st, commemoration of All Saints. And then November 2nd, everybody, all souls, anyone who has died is commemorated on the 2nd. It's a way for those who might have been forgotten to be remembered at least, right, you're sort of praying for anyone who has been forgotten. Yeah. As well as all the people you can still name. Um, like the way we have a so, tomb of an unknown soldier type of thing. Yes. It represents yes, exactly. anyone that we didn't know who they were. Right. Yes. And, of course, the point is, if you're, I mean, for Catholicism, um, if there are people who are stuck in purgatory and they're not getting prayers to help get them out faster, um, that this is a chance for them to get some prayers. Right. Um, so mumming happens, um, and also definitely around Christmas, um, caroling, of course, around Christmas. But essentially, um, this is a big time of year for people sort of to be doing sort of door to door things, performing in the streets and getting treats for it. Right. Um, and one of the things was at All Hallows, All, All Saints, All Souls Days, um, that people would go door to door and they would get Soul cakes, um, which we mentioned briefly, but we're going to talk about a little more here. Um, and these were offerings, ostensibly sort of offerings to the dead. Um, so they were little cakes, or I'm, hmm, <laughs> they weren't scones, but they were like muffin-y type things? Yeah, I mean, they were bread. Mm-hmm. More bread than, okay. I mean, they weren't cake the way we think of cake today. They weren't cupcakes. Okay. <laughs> they were more bread. Yeah. But they were portioned, you know, kind of individual portioned, mm-hmm. right? So, so you know, they're a little scone-esque, I guess. Um, and they would have probably a cross on them, right? They're an offering. Okay. Um, and so people would go around and... Um, so kind of similar to hot cross buns. Yes. Um, which, of course, 
nowadays are for Easter. Right. Right. Um, and the idea is that people would go around, you would give these to children, to the poor, and that there are a lot of reasons, but potentially the idea that giving them was kind of like an offering, right? So giving charity and that it was in the name of, you know, people you did know, and also maybe people you didn't, right? Um, so that you were sort of generally trying to help people. Okay. Um, so John Merck, who's an Augustinian canon regular... Um, in Shropshire, late 14th, early 15th century. So active, you know, kind of say like 1380 to 1420 or something like that. Um, he wrote a book, I mean, a manuscript, but you know, um, that's known as the Festial or the Liber Festivalis, Book of Festivals. It was essentially a collection of homilies for all of the festivals of the liturgical year. Um, and he wrote it in English, which is actually unusual for a clergy at the time. Um, he seems to have been against Lollardy, which we have mentioned, <laughs> um, or will mention. Well, in yeah, episodes. that won't have come out by the time this goes up. So yes. stay okay. tuned for so, more on Lollardy. Yes, Lollardy will be coming yes. <laughs> in a future episode yes. on... It's a heresy. Orthodox, <laughs> yes. Yeah. You won't believe what these heretics did. Check it they, out. Yep. Okay. One of the things they did, of course, was believe that you should do stuff in the vernacular. Um, oh, man. But, yeah. What crazy. <laughs> so, what crazy so-and-sos. What? Yeah. Um, but he was not a Lollard, but clearly was interested in the vernacular, right? That you would preach and teach and et cetera in the vernacular, presumably because, like, that way people would know what you were saying. Fair enough. Interestingly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so he wrote this book. We'll provide a link. You know, it's digitized online, a, a printed version of it. Um, and so, yeah, he wrote he wrote this in English, and it's, you know, it's the liturgical calendar. Um, and so he's got one for All Souls Day, of course, right? Um, and he got most of his material from the Golden Legend, which we have certainly mentioned with some of our saint stuff. Um, but Vorgine, in the Latin, you know, Jacobus, you know, but anyway, he's a, he wrote the Golden Legend um, which is a big collection of stories, mm -hmm. right? Hey, geography, basically. Saints' lives. Um, and a lot of that material <laughs> is stuff that Merck uses, of course, in his homilies here. Um, but he adds in some other stuff as well, right? His own stuff that he knows or that he thinks up. Um, and in the All Souls Day section, um, he says that in old time, good men and women would this day buy bread and give it for the souls that they loved, hoping with each loaf to get a soul out of purgatory. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, so, and then he says, you know, that probably there was some use, but, you know, you can't depend on it. <laughs> like, but it's this sort of interesting sense mm -hmm. that this is a tradition, right? He's talking at the end of the 1300s, and he considers this an old tradition. Yeah. Um, so... We don't know if how old it really was. I mean, it could have been a tradition from the 1300s, but at least he viewed it as older. So mm -hmm. maybe it existed since the 1200s or earlier. Um, and there is a little bit of an interesting sense. Like, did the soul cake, maybe it's got a cross on it. You give it to people. Was there a parallel that was kind of seen between it and maybe in the Eucharist, potentially? Mm -hmm. um, that You made the sort of replica, you know. Um, or imitation of the Eucharist and 
gave it to people kind of as an offering, mm-hmm. right, to the poor or to kids. And then, you know, that charity, that act of charity and the act of making the cake itself hopefully would, you know, get some loved ones or maybe some people who just didn't have anyone to pray for them, help them help them along on their journey through purgatory. I was going to say, um, is there a, is it one to one? Like you give away one soul cake, you get one soul out of purgatory? Is it? Maybe. One. Perhaps. Yeah. Um, it's not say that obvious. I mean, I don't think the math was done that closely, okay. <laughs> which is to say, they're not right. You're not rules lawyering this to the extent that I no. am where I'm sitting no. here. It's sort of like, like, how what does happen if you die right. and nobody prays for you and you get stuck in purgatory and then the end of the world? Well, happens. you get out like, eventually because you're no, no, you're working your way through purgatory, right? Like being in purgatory itself, okay. your suffering in purgatory is helping you work through purgatory. Oh, okay. But the idea is if there are people praying for you, you'll get through it faster. It's like taking a ladder to the next level. Yeah. I mean, there's a similar tradition in Judaism. Even though you don't have purgatory, Mm -hmm. the idea that how fast you get to heaven has to do with how many times people say Kaddish for you. Right? Um, So you might get to heaven really slowly. (laughs) It might be a real slow journey. Um, you're not in purgatory, you're just not anywhere, right? That you might right. get there really slowly, you get there faster if there are a lot of people saying Kaddish for you, right? So similar, right? Once mm-hmm. a year in Yom Kippur, um, at least, right? At the very least, once a year in Yom Kippur, you say Kaddish as a congregation for everybody who's died. Yes. Um, so that people who might not have someone to say Kaddish for them, then they get it. Um, so it's a very, you know, I would say a lot of religions have this idea. Of course, right? Because you can't forget the people who might not have anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, you know, today, it's it's still around today. This is still a tradition, even though England is no longer Catholic. Some traditions die hard, of course. Um, I don't know if, I mean, there are still people in England who are Catholic, obviously. <laughs> but as this a country. religion, yeah. Yes, it's no longer Catholic. Um, but, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter. You keep your traditions, people still do stuff. So, um, today, Soul Cake's um, have, today they are somewhat scone-like, really. Um, they can have allspice, nutmeg, cinnamon, ginger, raisins, currants, right? Um, so you can get all this stuff added in. Uh, at what point this becomes the norm is not clear. Um, but yeah, essentially, right, you, you add this stuff to the bread to make it sort of sweet, right? So it's a treat, um, and that seems to have been the, the idea generally. Like, it certainly was supposed to be a treat, um, right? It's a special offering. Like, that's, of course, that's that's the point. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, so soul, soul cakes are, um, an, you know, one of those sort of early, early, there was not a trick involved, <laughs> but it was a treat given at sort of around All Hallows, um, and more specifically All Saints Day to help help the souls that needed it. Um, so that's still cake. Today, of course, we tend not to give baked goods just because, you know, stranger danger and yeah, we, whatnot. Yeah, we totally would right. if people didn't somehow believe that you were going to put razors in them. Right. I don't know. Um, yeah. Although, also to be fair, like, depending on what type of neighborhood you live in, you, you probably don't want to bake, like, three dozen cookies or four dozen or whatever it would that's be. That's right? also fair, yeah. It is easier to go to the store and buy everything now. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, right. So at the time, this this was a thing, and it, it of course, yeah. I mean, up until probably the past few decades, it was not uncommon to get baked goods on Halloween. Um, 
It has become uncommon, certainly. <laughs> but every now and then, like, there still might be some neighbor that you know makes stuff and you trust her or him, right? Because they're known by the neighborhood. Um, but yeah, this is the sort of, um, one of the origins of this kind of idea, right, of, of trick-or-treating. Um, so, soul cake. This idea of kind of a bread that is a treat, um, it is worth pointing out, goes back pretty far. Um, so I want to bring up another type of bread treat that we may not realize how old it is. Um, and that is French toast. Or as they call it in France, Pemperdue. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Le yeah. toast français. Yeah. Très bien. Yep. I'm sorry. Um, <clears throat> yes. Why, why they think it's seven years lost. I don't quite know. Okay. Um, I thought it was something about it going stale, but now that I'm realizing maybe. I just made that up in my head as a rationalization. It might be. Who is, I mean, who knows? Quite possibly. Um, but it's first actually mentioned in a Latin text. Um, it's, it's nominal author who may have been a real person or also may not have been. But anyway, um, Apicius, um, and of course, depending on, that's assuming that this person was classical. The text itself is actually a sort of compilation of classical, um, Latin and also slightly later mm -hmm. Latin. So, um... So Apicius could be, like, Betty Crocker. Right. Um, and the sort of, you know, the vulgar Latin, like, obviously, yeah, I mean, it's this collection. So, um, who is to say maybe there was an Apicius at one point who was attached to it and then later there wasn't. So, you know, we could call him, you know, Apicius, maybe, depending <laughs> on when we think he lived. Okay. Anyway, uh, because it could be as, so it's pr quite probably from the first century, of the common era, so we're on uh, our side of the year zero. Yeah. It could be as late as the 5th century, though, which would actually make it medieval, of course. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Basically. Right. So, mm, you know, it depends. That is still depends. older by, I'm going to say a thousand years older than I would possibly have thought French toast could be. Yes. Yeah, it's real old. Um, it's a great cookbook. It's quite fun. I mean, the recipes are great. There's tons of stuff. It's it's really big. It's got a lot of chapters. Um, this is in book seven, which is like a sort of, you know, miscellany of stuff. And um, we'll provide some links. You can find it in both English and, and Latin. Gutenberg, you know, has it online. Um, but basically... There's the sort of original manuscripts of it. Um, and then there is actually a later short version, probably from the 8th century, um, maybe Carolingian, that was compiled um, by somebody named Vinidarius. Okay. I'm pronouncing the V because it's a little bit late. Um, so I'm not pronouncing it as a W. But his name suggests he may have been Goth, the original. Okay. Goth, Germanic. <laughs> Goth, right? Um, and he created this manuscript that's like a little like the best hits the the best hit excerpts okay maybe his favorite recipes out of this book um you know so it sticks around uh people like it people use it you know that's why we still have it obviously i mean it, it sticks around um but yeah so essentially this is in this this collection as i said chapter book seven of it 
chapter, book, whatever. Um, and it it's another suite, right? There's he sort of tells you like what kind of recipe is it? It's a, this recipe, it's a that. So this is another sweet recipe, and you're supposed to you have sort of um, the Latin actually translates it to a grated bread, which people s- assume in the translation means um, that you have taken off the crusts. Okay. <laughs> so you've taken the crusts off. That this is probably what grated means, I guess. Sure. Right? So you've taken the crust off your, your bread. It's a specific kind of sort of good quality bread. Mm-hmm. Right? And then you break it into big pieces. Okay. You soak it in milk. You fry it in oil. You douse it in honey. <laughs> and you serve it. <laughs> okay. I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of translations add the eggs. Mm-hmm. It's not clear. They're not specifically mentioned in the recipe. Um, you certainly could. You know, eggs eggs existed. Um, but yeah, that's, there it is. So um, that's real, real old. <laughs> yeah. And um, this is the sort of, one of the origins of the idea of bread being used as a dessert in the way we think of it today. Right. Um, I'm, I'm avoiding saying sweet bread because of course a sweet bread is something else. Right. (laughs) Right. Um, but bread that is sweet, a bread, a bready treat, I guess. Yeah. Right. Um, so the idea of bread as being something that is not savory or isn't just plain, but yeah. So yeah. So this sort of French toast, right. Fried up, sort of soak it in milk, serve it with honey. Um, brilliant. It is possible that soul cakes did have some of these additives that they have today in the past as well. Um, so it's worth pointing out that adding stuff is a big thing in the Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. We have talked about medieval food before and will again. Um, <laughs> but pudding, for example. Pudding in the American sense or pudding in the British sense of just sort of like a dessert? Pudding basically in the British sense okay. here. Yeah. Of a dessert. Um and the idea being that, like, adding things, right? That you mm-hmm. add things. So, um, for example, there's a kind of strawberry pudding um, that's in a an English manuscript from, mm, I think, probably around, f- I think, like, 1430 or something. First half of the 15th century. Um, and it basically says um, you take strawberries, wash them, <laughs> um, and then some good red wine, strain it through a cloth, um, and then you like mix them in a pot with good almond milk. The reminder that the Middle Ages also used almond milk, so uh, yes, that's not some modern thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, bind them with rice flour, make it stiff, let it boil, put currants in it, saffron, pepper, a lot of sugar, ginger powder, cinnamon, gown gale. Finish off with vinegar. You can color it if you want. Add it to a bowl. Sprinkle some stuff on it. Serve it. Wow. Um, yeah. So, yeah, the idea that soul cake, you know, today it does have all these additives. You know, you put in spices and everything. Um, it is quite possible that you would do that in the Middle Ages. They were not averse to adding things. They weren't averse to the mm-hmm. idea of sweet bread. It, you know, it sort of existed. Put in bread that was sweet, that is. Uh um, raisins or currants or something. 
Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, another obvious sort of parallel to this is what today we would call shortbread mm -hmm. um, or possibly biscuits, which in England tends to mean cookies. Right. Um, biscuit, of course, means like twice cooked. Right. Oh. Bisqui. Right. Okay. So it's twice cooked. Um, and this probably comes kind of originally out of stuff like food for sailors, like hardtack. Where sure. something would super dry out, <laughs> and then you'd, like, reheat it with something to make it edible again. <laughs> oh, it's the same right? type of um, root as biscotti, which yes. are genuinely it's, it's the same. twice. Yeah, it's the same word. It is, I mean, yeah, it's the same word that goes in different directions. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, um, basically... Uh, people would do the same thing with bread that had dried out, right? Mm -hmm. Today we make croutons. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in the past, you might also make, like, shortbread or, yeah, biscotti, biscuits, cookies. Not cookies the way we think of them, but, right. Yeah. A sweet treat made out of bread that had been too hard to eat that now you would, like, reheat um, with stuff to make them tasty. <laughs> um, and... You know, eventually the sort of addition of butter, basically. Mm -hmm. Butter and sugar is what makes them biscotti. Right. Or biscuits that we know today. Um, but certainly, yeah, th this was already a thing that was out there at the time as well. Right. So there are a lot of sort of places that soul bread could have come from. Um, other things that it could have resembled. Yeah. Um, all right. So that is sort of our rundown of um, something that we aren't as used to today, which is to say we love them and we eat them. And people definitely bake cookies for many holidays around the holiday season. Yeah. Um, and we give them to friends, right? Tins of cookies. Um, and so, yeah, that has definitely also always been a thing. Um, but it originates sort of with this soul cake idea. Um, or, again, with sort of the idea of bread that has been left over for too long. Um, or, right, and just gone stale. Um, or... You know, sailors had hardtack. Um, so, yeah, so there are a lot of sort of reasons that some of these things came to be. Some of them are sort of practical. <laughs> um, you know, you don't want to throw out your stale bread. So how do you make it edible again? Um, all right. But obviously, when we think of trick or treat and the season, the first thing we do tend to think of is candy. Yay. And yes, and candy, in this case, we mean sugar, right? <laughs> we mean something be. made with sugar. Yeah. Uh, which you'll notice the, the previous things, none of them have to include sugar. Mm -hmm. um, the French toast, right, used honey. So not powdered sugar. Yeah. Um, or maple syrup, for that matter. Right. <laughs> um, maple syrup, of course, similar though to honey, something that comes from nature without having to be too much altered. Although, depending on how you buy it, it may have been quite a lot altered, but... <laughs> but in theory, you could go find a tree and, you know, make maple syrup yourself. Tap it. Yes. I think the processing to get, like, granulated white sugar out of sugar cane is considerably more complicated. Yes. Or sugar yeah. beets. Yeah, sugar beets. Yes. Yeah, sugar beets are more modern, mm -hmm. actually. So... Sugar cane is real old. Um, we're actually, we're going to start with the OED here. Oh. All right. So sugar 
um, originally candy was actually known as sugar candy. Mm-hmm. Like it was sort of the long word for it. We have shortened it to candy because we just assume that, <laughs> that it, it was made sugar with sugar. Yeah. Um, but sugar candy, um, originally from like Anglo-Norman and Middle French, which got it from Old French, 1256 souk candy. Um, so that's at least 1256 in Old French. Um, originally Arabic and Persian. Hmm. Um, yeah, so this is, this is a term we get from Arabic and Persian. Um, and that is also where it came from, <laughs> basically. So, um, there's some pretty old sources, right? Like 1256 in France. Um, remember, this is a time at which sugar from sugarcane is really difficult to get. Mm-hmm. It is very, very, very expensive. <laughs> um, and so it, it's used, though. I mean, we already have the OED um, has it listed, let's see, um, 1393. Okay. Um, yeah, sugar candy. Um sort of circa 1425 um and even before 1425 um that's their earliest we so we don't know exactly when some people have dated it fairly early but um certainly before 1425 there's um a record that someone paid for two boxes of conserves treacle and sugar candy Oh, okay. Yeah. And before before 1475, um, apples pears with sugar candy. So, um, yeah, so by then, sugar candy is, you know, by the 1400s, it's a thing, right? <laughs> it's in use. Um, and Old French has been talking about it since the 1200s, which is also, of course, how it gets to England, mm-hmm. right? Anglo-Norman French, presumably. This Obviously, <laughs> this is presumably how we get it in, in English. Um so sugar cane, as we know it in Europe, comes from India originally. Um, ancient India. Well, when I lived in Vietnam, um, they would sell it at roadsides. And they mm-hmm. had like a machine. People would have this machine, which is like two big metal rollers. And they roll the piece of sugar cane through it. And then, like, the juice gets all squished out and comes out a tube. Yes. And they put it, because it's, South, because it's Southeast Asia, they put it into a little tiny plastic bag that is already filled with ice and stick a straw in it and hand it to you. Um, and it's delicious. Yep. Usually, sometimes they put, like, flavors in it, like the same that, you know, you get a flavored latte, you get a flavored sugar yes. cane. Yep. Yeah. So that is... 100% how it was originally used. Oh. Yeah. Okay. That makes that sense. Exactly it's the easiest how way to get used. the sugar out, I think. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yeah. Um, and it starts in India. And then, um, you know, Persia, Persian army doing its thing. Um, the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Find it. <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously, Something I think we may have mentioned before, or mentioned in the future, uh, honey has previously been used in a lot of similar ways to the way sugar will then be used, right? So, like ancient Egypt, the Middle East, China, Greece, Rome, all use honey to make to make candy and to make things sweet. 
that's how you get the early French toast version, right? But sugar, yes, because you it can be a juice, essentially, <laughs> a liquid, mm-hmm. right? Um, that is more liquidy than honey, obviously, like, uh, and then it turns out that while honey, honey doesn't change form real easily, like you can heat it and cool it, but it sort of is what it is, right? Whereas sugar, it turns out, when you heat it in certain ways and do other things to it, you can really transform what it's capable of. Yes. Right? You can completely transform its properties. Yes. <laughs> you get eventually like granulated sugar as we know and love it. Yeah. So, um, yes, this is the beginning, right? Uh, sugar is considered, right, it comes from India. It comes from this plant. It's a plant, sugar cane. Mm-hmm. It is considered medicinal. Oh, interesting. Right? Yeah. Plants are medicinal, right? I mean... <laughs> we still have this weird idea that plants are medicinal, even though, like, lots of them are also super poisonous, right? True. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, it's I mean, not... It's acting yeah. on the human body. I mean, technically... Right. <laughs> I don't know. Yes. I mean, I just think, like, humans have always had this weird thing about plants. And sure. the thing is, while it is true, some plants are genuinely helpful, obviously. You know, mold and penicillin. Like, some things are very genuinely helpful. Um, some things are not. Right. And people don't always have a great ability to tell between the two what is helpful and what is less helpful yes um and that and, you know, kids, is why good. you don't eat mushrooms that you haven't had positively identified for you by someone who is a mushroom expert yes <laughs> yeah to say the least oh my gosh yeah and you know there are stories about people like who think they know what they're doing and it turns out mm. mm-hmm. yeah so yeah beware mushrooms i love mushrooms but beware mushrooms um Yes, and this is the problem, right? Because also things that taste good, right? There's this idea, like, if things are sour, then they have a certain property. If things are sweet, they have a certain property. Um, this is kind of the downfall of humanity <laughs> because there's, like, you know, it's so sweet, it must be good for you, right? It's from a plant. Yeah. So um, it starts out being thought of as a sort of precious spice spice or drug Mm -hmm. um initially of course in europe it's available only in tiny tiny quantities they're getting it from the middle east right so trade with sort of um the very islamic uh empires in the middle east um and you know because europe of course not having quite got to india uh, rome comes pretty close and but as we move into the middle ages right so europe is getting this alexander was a long time ago right yeah, but, you know, so, but the trade is still going, right? So India, the trade from India, and of course, eventually, like, the Middle East, right, people start to grow it themselves. Mm-hmm. So you, originally you got it from India, but now you can grow it yourself, right? So, um, it, you know, as I said, right, so the Islamic empires, they start to grow it in various places. It turns out it grows in parts of Spain. Oh, right? Okay. Which, of course, are under Islamic rule as well. So, um, yeah, so sugar starts to move around. Um, it can be grown in Cyprus <laughs> as well. Um, so you have, yeah, so you have these places that are starting to grow it um, and manufacture it. So you have sugar plantations, they're growing it, they're manufacturing it. And in this sense, of course, that's a modern term, but we mean they're milling it, basically, the way you just said, right? Right. They're milling it to produce the liquid or the sap, 
and then they are doing things with it, and then they are selling it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's this sort of great sense. By the time you hit the 1300s, um, you've got sugar plantations sort of manufacturing on Cyprus, um, and that trade with Europe, of course. Um, also, uh, Granada. Um, so Muslim Granada and Spain, um, right, southern Spain, Andalusia. Um, you have some growing there, trading. Trading with there is increasing. Um, Sicily eventually, right, gets started in the sugar trade, growing and producing as well. Um, yeah, and you get the mills that are grinding it for the syrup. So this is kind of the original, um, beginnings of sugar getting <laughs> sort of shot into Europe, basically. Um, and there's some really early mentions of sugar. So it's a little debated. We're not going to go with the first, but an early, early mention. Is it? The, anyway, it's early, early, early mention. Henry II. Oh. Whom I remember is 1100s, right? 1133 to 89. Henry II of England, um, his, the account rolls, the pipe rolls, you know, royal expenses, um, sugar is actually mentioned. What? Really? Which is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, clearly, he's not, I mean, they must have been gotten a tiny amount, mm -hmm. right? Um, but there you are, right? Trade at this point, um, yeah. Of course, right? It's happening even even in England, which is still kind of the backwater, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> even Henry II in England can get a tiny, 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 tiny amount of sugar, right? It's good so to it's be there. the king. It really is. Yeah. And um, by 1226, so let's mention quick, um, I should say, someone we've used before, I think, um, there's Epstein, an economic and social history of later medieval Europe, 1,000 to 1,500. Um, Sydney Mints, Sweetness and Power, The Place of Sugar in Modern History. Um, there, there's whole books written about sugar. But anyway, um, in 1226, Henry III requests three pounds of Alexandrian, meaning Egyptian sugar, if it's possible to find that much at once from the mer merchants. Wow. Right? So he's not... Sh it's not clear if it's going to be possible to find three pounds at one time from the merchants when they're selling in England. Right. But this is Egyptian. Um, and it's, it's potentially possible. And if it is possible, he can afford it. Hmm. Right. Yes. So that's 1226 by 1287 under Edward the first, um, the Royal household is using 677 pounds of ordinary sugar which would mean just the straight up right sugar cane sugar. Okay. 300 pounds of violet sugar. That means that it's been infused with, you know, distilled violet petals. Sure. And 1900 pounds. I don't think this is typo could be, but who is to say <laughs> of rose sugar. So it's like rose, rose water or something. Yeah. Infused. Distilled rose petals infused with the sugar. Yeah. Okay. Infused into the sugar. Yep. And so this is what, like, a so, hundred years after Henry II? Yep. Wow. Yeah. What? Yep. So in that amount of time... That escalated quickly. Yeah. 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 And remember, Henry III in 1226, he's wondering if he could get three pounds at one time. Mm -hmm. 
obviously the answer becomes yes pretty quickly. Yeah. And not just that, but you know, you get to the point where you can have thousands of pounds used in a year by a household. Yeah. Um, yep. <laughs> so just basically 60 Jeez. years after Henry the third, right? Yeah. You, okay. You can, yep. You can, that's how much you can get if you're, if you can afford it. So, um, yes, there you go. Sugar <laughs> becomes, I mean, it's hard to believe you know, that they're selling anything else. If they're selling a thousand pounds of sugar, I mean, yeah. And to be fair, like this is kind of how we treat sugar today, right? Yes. I mean, <laughs> like this is how we treat sugar. Um, and the reminder of just right once it gets started, you know, and we talk about it like it's a modern problem. It is not a modern problem. It's a modern problem in that everyone can afford it, and some people can only afford food that has been like fortified with sugar. Right. Yes. But, you know, the problem with sugar is very long standing. <laughs> and some of the books point out things like, you know, the suddenness with which that level of sugar becomes available to the rich, uh, the dental hygiene does not increase right. at the same speed. <laughs> what? Were they using, like, twigs to brush their teeth at this point? What are they doing? Sort of, yeah, yeah. basically. Okay. Um, we're actually going to get to some of the stuff that that they thought licorice root for example for chew on it for a uh, dental toothaches or whatever oh. uh, we'll talk about licorice in a, in a sec but um that's its own yeah punishment. so sugar becomes what that's its own punishment oh i mean it depends on if you like it or not yes <laughs> um but sugar right that sugar becomes so rarely available fairly quickly in the Middle Ages. And it's funny because you, you will read stuff to this day that's like sugar was not available. Well, you know, not to your everyday person, but it, by the time Edward I can afford that much for his household, you can bet the nobles, even the merchants, everyone can afford some, right? right? It's only the poor who can't. But of course, at times of year, like today, times of year, like Christmas or something, where you are giving alms to the poor, maybe All Souls Day, candy, Right? Mm -hmm. Those are the times you would, as a richer household, give those types of things. You would give them candy. You would give them something sweetened with sugar. Because, like, that's... Right? It's that yeah. time of year. Okay. <laughs> and it's still that time of year, right? Yeah. So this idea of sugar, of giving people sweet things, right? You go to someone's house, right, for Thanksgiving dinner, you bring a pie, or you bring a box of chocolates, or you bring, you know, the idea of the sweet treat that you bring as a host you give to your guests or as a guest you bring to your host um this is kind of one of the original places for that right mm -hmm. it's still this idea of sugar as this really important thing right um and of course you know we could talk about like trifles or subtleties so you know as you move later a little bit the late middle ages and then of course the early modern period where you have um you know things made out of sugar Right, so this is the time of year when, like, on the Food Network, there are all these uh, competition shows. Oh, yeah, the things for like with, Halloween yeah. and Christmas. They build mm -hmm. statues out of sugar that are taller than I yes. am, and yes. then they have to move them four feet from one yes. table to another table for some reason. Like, <laughs> yes, they just are like, let's torture them a little bit more. Yep, and then they, what if they break? Mm -hmm. Ah. But seeing what people can make out of sugar, it's like glass blowing. I mean, it's yeah. so extraordinary, right? But yeah, so that that becomes that gets its start, right? Late Middle Ages, early modern period, where you, if you're really rich, you can have sugar sculptures at a feast, 
right? Um, and Kara Walker does her whole sugar sphinx, a subtlety sort of based on that that reminder. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so sugar, right, it, it comes, you can get the sugar pre-infused with flavors, right? Violet sugar, rose sugar. Um, and then, of course, you get ordinary sugar that's not pre-infused with flavors. So you have all these great, I mean, already in the 1200s, you got all this, right? Um, all right, so now we are mentioning, we've mentioned Kara Walker, we are going to mention... Um, that with sugar, this is the big reminder, comes slavery. Oops. Um, yeah. So with sugar in Europe, you get slavery, right? You don't suddenly get 2,000 pounds of sugar because, like, some mills in Cyprus are doing better. Or even mm -hmm. Sicily. Or even Muslim Spain. No. Um, what happens... <laughs> Obviously, the new world happens, right? Sugarcane becomes a crop. New world with giant quotes around it, of course, new to whom. But yes, right. Um, obviously, right, the Americas become a huge sugarcane, right? And, and of course, slavery. But, um, oh, a shout out to Robbie McCauley. I'll show him. Uh, she actually died in May, but fantastic African-American performer. She had a whole piece about sugar um, because as someone who actually had diabetes as a kid wasn't diagnosed a little bit later. But the idea of um, African-Americans and right obesity, diabetes, and the ways in which that sort of has really wreaked havoc on the community. And, of course, original havoc on the African-American community, why there are African-Americans to begin with, slavery. Right. Right. Um, and so the way it's all tied up together with sugar. Um, and it is. So uh, Prince Henry the Navigator. Henry the Navigator is a term that he gets much later like hundreds of years after he dies, people start calling him the Navigator. But that's probably how you know him if you've heard of him. So Prince Henry the Navigator, um, born late 13, like 1394 or something. Anyway, to 1460. Um, he's the third, I guess, surviving, surviving son. Anyway, um, so he's not the oldest. He doesn't get to be king. But um, of John I of Portugal. So we're talking about Portugal. Um oft forgotten on the Iberian Peninsula, but important. Um, anyway, so John, a lot of things for being an oft forgotten country. Yes. Yeah. Was super powerful. <laughs> Huge Navy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you have, of course, like Brazil, you have Lusophone Africa, Portuguese speaking Africa. Yes. Well, here we go. So Henry, the so-called navigator. Um, he, yeah, he's the kid of John the first of Portugal and Philippa, his queen, um, who was the sister of Henry IV of England. So ah. Yep. But anyway, so Henry here, this is Henry of Portugal, right? <laughs> um, was he really, really championed what we might call exploration and expansion, euphemistically. Uh -huh. um, what this means in practice is that he sent his, you know, whoever was willing to do it, uh, down the west coast of Africa, which a lot of people hadn't done yet. By people, I mean Europeans, of course. Many, many Africans had done this. <laughs> That's where they lived. Um, but, yeah, Europeans hadn't fully investigated the west coast of Africa. And now they would. So you'll notice Columbus, of course, 1492, is going to sail across the Atlantic looking for India. Um, this was a different thought, right? Mm -hmm. That eventually you could sail around Africa and get to India. Which Africa turns out to be a lot true. bigger than they thought. <laughs> Also true. But yes, you can. Yeah, absolutely. So the west coast of Africa, um, Europeans going up and down, up and down. Um, eventually, so, you know, Henry dies in 1460. 
But in 1498, uh, Vasco da Gama will become the first European, to our knowledge, to reach India by sailing around Africa. Um, and that is the sort of, that was the goal of what Henry did. Oh, we don't, it we does don't happen. count Alexander the Great as the first European. Well, he didn't sail around the Cape of Good Hope, Oh, that's I don't true. Think. He sort of. Yeah. He went over land, which is the what everyone did. Right. That's what people did. The <laughs> slightly easier way, I'm going to say. Yes, it was the, yeah. Sailing around yeah. the Cape of Hope, Good Hope is. Uh, is, yeah, euphemistically not... named yeah. Cape of Good Hope, we should say. Like, not. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and of course these are all European terms for everything because that's that's what it's all called. But um now, that's what it's all called now. But yeah, so we have um here <laughs> um this sort of really interesting sense, right? That's that's why Vasco da Gama does it, right? So Portugal, this you know, guy from Portugal becomes the first European that we know of to do this. And it's because uh Portugal's looking for a way to get to India without going overland. Right, something that Spain ultimately also wants to do, and which is why they pay Columbus. Right, Portugal has now taken the sea route around Africa, so Spain reunited after Reconquista. Right, um, they have after eight hundred years of sort of um, a really interesting, diverse Spain. Not perfect by any means, but you know, um, they have the Reconquista means no ostensibly means no more Muslims and no more Jews in Spain, only Catholic. Uh, and Ferdinand and Isabella are looking for a way to do all this trading everyone else is doing, but not go overland. And also not mess with Portugal and their sea route. <laughs> so right. they don't have a lot of options. So they pay Columbus. Um, but Portugal, you know, and as I said, Spain, the reason they don't want to go overland is, of course, because those are the Muslim empires that have all that. You know, they don't want to, for various reasons, they don't want to get mixed up. They don't want to fight. They have pissed people off. They don't want to pay so they're looking for their own route. Um, there are other people who are in there already. Um, yeah. So unfortunately, um, what happens is first, um, the settling, well, the colonization, we get, we start to get some colonization by Portugal of areas, you know, sort of between the Iberian Peninsula and Africa. Um, so like the Madeira Islands turn out to be a great place to grow sugar. Named for the wine? Or maybe the other way around. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, and um, so what happens under Henry, actually, in the 1440s, um, so as they are investigating, in giant quotes, the west coast of Africa, um, they start taking people. And eventually they decide that conquering and colonization isn't what they want. They just start trading for people. And so that's how you start setting up those trade routes, even before anyone knows that the Americas are there. And by anyone, of course, again, I mean Europe. Even before Europe knows that the Americas are there, outside of the Vikings, um, you have the setup for slavery. Because mm -hmm. Henry has put up these uh, routes, these trade routes, where they are starting to make deals with certain groups to sell them people from other groups. Um, and so thousands of Africans are taken by Henry, mm -hmm. by Portugal, to work as enslaved people in parts of, you know, the various parts of <laughs> the Iberian Peninsula, the Madeira Islands, right? Places where the Portuguese are growing sugarcane and need people to work it. So it actually starts there before it ever gets to the Americas. Right. Eventually um, and this in is, the of course, British West Indies, right? 
Yeah. Um, yep. Oh, yeah. That's why they're, big, I mean. What we would call, I guess, yeah. the Caribbean. The Caribbean. Becomes a yeah. big um, sugar yeah. hot spot. Yes. And it looks like West Indies. So the Americas don't have all the spices and everything else that they thought they were going to find that India had. But it turns out that some of that stuff will grow here, mm-hmm. like sugarcane. Right? Sugarcane does grow here. That was it. But yeah, so it is also this reminder of sugar, the price that we pay for sugar, right? <laughs> um, there's a huge price that we have paid for sugar. And by we, really, I still mean Europe. <laughs> still Europe. But then also Africa, right? That that um, ultimately that Africa pays for sugar. Um, yeah. And it is worth pointing out that parts of North Africa are definitely complicit in this. You know, right. in the slavery, um, in the enslaving of sub-Saharan Africa. Um, I believe I read that Tunisia had a fairly robust slave trade. Yeah. Um, it's the, you know, it's the eternal question. Well, it's not a question. Debate. Hmm. Um, you know, people are people, ultimately. Mm-hmm. And so you can say, like, certain groups made deals with the Europeans, you know, so that they wouldn't be enslaved, but also some of them really benefited. Right. I mean... It's, you know, um, yeah. <laughs> so it's it's a huge sort of issue. Um, Ama Ata Edu has this great play, Anua, that is sort of about this, that I really, really, um, that deals a little bit with this idea. Yeah. Um, African complicity sort of in in slavery. Mm-hmm. What, what was it? What does it mean? All of those things. Yeah. But yeah, so here we have Portugal really kicking things off. Obviously... Spain and England and France and everyone else are going to catch up. I'm not, you know, they're the Dutch. Um, they're all going to catch up. But this is kind of where it starts is, is with sugar. Um, so that being said, there are some great sort of medieval recipes to make candies in this sense of with sugar. <laughs> um, and so and they give you, you know, so there's one that's like um, take a pound of sugar um, that is not clarified. And then with cold water um the white of an egg you know if it's been clarified with the white of an egg it would be clammy (laughs) um and then you put it in a pan you set it on fire bring it to a boil right and it sort of tells you like how to make sure that it's the right consistency um and how to stir it properly right so that it doesn't anyone who's tried to like sort of make something like caramel i guess will know what it's like. Like, you have to be really careful on how you stir it and you make sure oh, like, yeah. you don't, <laughs> don't burn it or burn this it or that or the and other. don't let it crystallize. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you should have, um, you know, yeah, so it sort of gives you all these instructions on sort of how, how you do it, right? Um, and then you put it on a marble stone, right? So mm-hmm. you're pouring it out, as you would with a candy maker. Um, and then so sort of how you... Um, cover it kind of in a um, cover it in potentially like a flour like a sort of rice flour or something or um, and cut it into pieces so we're sort of thinking um, hmm you know it's like the candy coating yeah right yeah so then you have the candy coating so like it doesn't stick to you there are, <laughs> there are candies you can but, get that yeah. have like rice paper on the outside that's like edible that they wrap around Mm -hmm. it yeah but also i wanted to say about putting it on marble 
Um, mm-hmm. People still use marble in the process of tempering chocolate because mm-hmm. it will be cool. So you can pour yep. the hot chocolate onto it and it cools it off. But um, yes. I think people who do professional candy making get these cool like metal tables that like they pump cold water through them. Yeah. Um, yeah. To help. Or you could pump hot water to keep the sugar at a special temperature. But yeah, yes. it's the same sort of idea. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and now, of course, yes, there's great technology to do stuff, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, so, you know, so there are definitely all these recipes then that show up, um, yeah, that show up sort of in the 1400s telling you how to do this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and even some of the 1300s, right, that, that sort of tell you what, what to do and how to make it and how to be, right, you stir it really carefully, right, and then, like, when it's a certain consistency between your fingers and if it's too stiff, then you do this, but... You know, yeah. Um, so yeah. <laughs> all the, the sort of care that you need to work with sugar, right? Um, we should mention, so having mentioned, right, sugar is, of course, a plant. It has this incredible history, but also a horrific, horrific history that we really do need to remember based on how much we still use it mm-hmm. um, and how much it still really does decimate the populations of people who originally were decimated by being forced to work on the plantations. Um, you know, yeah, sugar is a thing. It's great, but also evil. Right. But it's not the fault of sugar. I mean, it's the <clears throat> fault of people. <laughs> Humans are terrible. Um, just this past year, I think, I think it was 2021, and I'm not misremembering 2019 as one is wont to do. Um, mm-hmm. There was a lawsuit that I think wound up in front of the Supreme Court about whether or not people could sue a major chocolate manufacturer for using slave labor in the production of their chocolates or um, child labor, but essentially, you know. um, Wait, yes. Hang on. Um, Oh, there is a whole thing. Yeah, to this day, chocolate. Some chocolate uses child labor. They all supposed to sign a thing that said they wouldn't use child labor after whatever year that they said they wouldn't use it anymore. But the problem is that none of them have really, I don't know if the year has come or gone or not, but they sort of, none of them abided by it. Everyone's kind of whatever. It's still, yes, it's still a huge, 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 huge problem. Yeah. Um, Some, yes. And recently, yeah, another article came out about it sort of <clears throat> saying like they still haven't done anything. Yeah. And we need to start taking this seriously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like the problem is that, you know, if you are candy bar company in New Jersey, you probably don't actually own the chocolate plantation right. in wherever Ethiopia. So right. the the supply chain, like I think that their argument is basically like we cannot guarantee that our chocolate was not produced without child labor because we don't have that much supervision over the supply chain. And whether or not you believe that argument to be bullshit or not, right? Like, some right. companies try to be more transparent than others. Yeah. But, but also, the major companies really could, right? They could yeah. they make the difference. Right. So they could make the difference if they wanted to. You'd say that if you are making enough peanut butter cups to encircle the earth eight times eight or times. whatever... <laughs> <laughs> that maybe yes. you could have enough clout on the market to do something. Yes. Yeah, and that's all of them, right? Nestle, yeah. Hershey's, Nestle, 
there are other, but those are yeah. the those are the biggest. I mean, oh my god, um, they own yeah, a lot of them. Absolutely, they could they could definitely make a difference. Yeah, yeah, um, and there are now some very small companies who are trying to like do sort of farm to table, right? So they do mm-hmm. know the people who run the fields and whatever. And then of course their stuff is just more expensive, but they're very small companies, so it's okay. They sell like upscale chocolate. Yeah. Um, but yeah, obviously Hershey and Nestle can make a difference if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. You know, that's yeah. That's what right? people are yeah. trying to get them to do. Yes. Yeah. No, that's a really, really important. Yes. That, yes, that just because <laughs> slavery as we think of it doesn't exist anymore in the Americas doesn't mean that we don't still have huge problems with things that are similar to slavery, child labor, yeah, going on elsewhere in the world. Yeah, absolutely. But also, I want mm-hmm. to point out that the, we talked a little bit about the Spanish. Um, yeah. The Spanish-owned, I guess, you know, the Spanish colonized the Philippines yep. in the 1500s. But before yep. that, um, there was a sugar industry there that was started by um, Arab traders who brought sugarcane and planted it. So this was already an industry when the Spanish took over. And even now today, the Philippines, which is kind of a little tiny island nation when you look at it, is the ninth largest sugar producer in the world. Wow. That is a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sugar, of course, has maintained its commodity status, right? Mm -hmm. It has has not gone down. (laughs) It has not shifted. Everybody wants some. Train. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, so I just think should should we wait for the train? Sure. <laughs> I know. Okay. Okay. All right. So yes. Um, on a slightly up note, um, there are perhaps two more plants with which we are very very familiar today. Um, that started out also as medicinal treats. Um, but today, when you eat the things with their names on them, probably you aren't actually eating any of this plant. Um, <laughs> the first of these has been mentioned, and it is licorice. Um, we still consider it medicinal, because let's be fair, what we know of licorice, it tastes like it's probably medicine. <laughs> right. And there's, it does do something to you if you eat too much of it. Oh, well, it's toxic if you eat yeah. too much of it. Um, but <laughs> it is also possible that it, there are certain things that might do. Yeah, so that's true. But it's just worth pointing out, um, it's mentioned... Um, in Old English, I believe. Um, oh no, sorry. It is not. It is mentioned in Old French. <laughs> sorry. Is it Old English? Old French. And Anglo-Norman. Right? So, uh, you know, French spoken in English. I mean, spoken in England. <laughs> so Anglo-Norman and Old French licorice. Um, from, of course, like sort of, oops, uh, from late Latin. Right? So that's where we get licorice. So it sort of makes its way down. Um, also in Greek, right? It sort of gets Latinized originally from Greek. So this is a really, really old one. I mean, mm-hmm. so this goes back to ancient times. Um, the ancient Greeks used it. Everybody used it. I mean, ancient China used it. Um, everyone thought it was medicinal. Uh, the Greeks may have actually gotten from the Scythians, perhaps. Um, so licorice goes way, way back. Um, and... <laughs> um, it's sort of mentioned, again, right, as a medicine by kind of everybody. Um, uh, Avicenna, who's um, Middle Eastern writer, who's also famous in Europe, mentions it. Um, and Hildegard, we've mentioned Hildegard, Hildegard von Bingen mentions it as well. 
Um, so that's the 12th century. Avicenna is like the 10th or 11th century. Again, our, this is our side of the year zero. You know, it certainly goes way, way back, you know, ancient, as I said. But um, anyway, so it, gets, it really is sort of well, well known. Um, and yeah, there were a lot of things they attributed to it. Um, so respiratory stuff, like asthma, lung disease, coughing. This is still, I think, where we, where it is sometimes actually used today. Mm-hmm. As kind of an expectorant, maybe, or something like that. Like, so it, that's possible. I mean, there have been studies suggesting that maybe it does kind of help with mucus and stuff. So, maybe. Okay. Um, the active ingredient is called glycerizic acid. Yeah, which is what the Greeks, yeah. that's the Greek word. Yeah, and so it's a lizard that we sort of turn into licorice, right? Aha. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, gastrointestinal stuff. Um, like ulcers and things. That's another thing that they thought. Um, and it's possible, maybe. Uh, again, studies perhaps that might do that. Um, it's been used as a, the past also suggested it was a laxative, which may also be true. <laughs> that might be a thing. Um, possibly cardiovascular stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Kildegard was a fan of this one. Um, maybe. Um, anyway, so there are a lot of things they thought it would do. Um, that it, it may, you know, who, who's sort of to say, um, but today, I mean, there are studies that suggest it might, I guess, but today, usually if you have licorice candy, right? So it used to be you had licorice, of course, eventually you add sugar to it because you start adding sugar to everything, right? But what you get today is probably anise Mm -hmm. flavored, right? You can get licorice that is actually with licorice, but you, you have to look for it. Like, that's specific. There's, um, you know, Europe is more likely to have it. So if you find, if you have a candy store that imports stuff from Europe, you can get real licorice or you could probably import it yourself. But um, otherwise, mm-hmm. like the stuff you tend to just find randomly is probably flavored yeah. with anise. There's a very funny scene in um, Gravity's Rainbow where the main character is offered... Uh, candy by an old British lady, and she gives him yeah. things like licorice and wine gums, yep. and he's sitting <laughs> there eating them and going like, "What the hell is wrong with the British?" <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, um, yeah. What is oh Turkish delight in yeah. C.S. Lewis, right? <laughs> yeah. And you know, I don't know how many articles get written every year about how what a <laughs> how he just like cheated every American kid by making them think that this was some delicious thing. But again, it depends on what you think of it. But it is, yeah, it's an old style candy that does tend to be covered. You know, now it's probably like powdered sugar, not like rice flour, mm-hmm. but covered so it doesn't like stick to you. And you know, yeah, it's it's old school. Yeah, I mean, and the funny thing is, Turkish, of course, it isn't necessarily, but. Certainly, like, Turkey and, you know, as you move on down, this is where a lot of the stuff did come from. Yeah. It's where sort of sugar came from, you know. So, um, yeah. All right. So then to one that we do like generally, having mentioned a lot of chocolate, marshmallows, the other part of the s'more. Um, we'll have to talk about graham crackers in the future. But marsh marshmallow is also a plant. It is a mallow, which is a plant that grows in the marsh. Ta-da. So it is a marshmallow. They have very all pretty right. flowers. Yes. Yeah, it's a real nice plant. The plant is mentioned in Old English um, because, you know, it's a plant that's been around. (laughs) Um, Again, medicinal. It's a plant. Plants are medicinal. Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely used in ancient Egypt, ancient Greece. 
Um, again, like sore throats, maybe bee stings, toothaches, you know, this is what stuff does. Um, <laughs> uh, Egypt, in Egypt, they combined it with honey. So that's how you start to get this idea that, of course, just like licorice, right, you start combining things with sugar. So ancient Egypt, they combined with honey. Um, the idea of combining stuff, the sort of, you know, sap, I guess, of the plant with sugar is something that becomes sort of common, but it's not until really the modern era where it starts getting whipped up with egg whites. Aha. Uh-huh. Which is, of course, what we know now as the marshmallow, mm-hmm. right? So the marshmallow is not originally fluffy. <laughs> um, it's more, it would be more like brittle, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. It's only in the sort of more modern era more modern, so it's still pretty, it's old-ish, but it's not necessarily medieval, when it starts getting whipped up with egg whites, you've already been combining with the sugar, but now you're combining with egg whites, you start to get the fluffy version that we know now. Um, the interesting part, of course, again, is that modern marshmallow probably doesn't have any actual marshmallow. No. <laughs> Which is say no actual extract from the plant. It is just a fun, fluffy treat. It's sugar, yeah. basically. All sugar. Yeah, yeah. But it's nice and fluffy. Yes. Um, but you don't need the plant for that because that's actually traditionally like the, the egg whites. It's mm-hmm. sort of the meringue stuff. Yeah. Um, but that stays fluffy instead of getting hard. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so marshmallow is another one. Again, great for the fall. You know, all times of year, but definitely great for fall. Um, originally from a plant, but again, the version we have today probably is not at all from the plant. Um, but yeah, that's so that's another fairly old treat. Um, yeah, so a lot of these are actually fairly old. They were all thought of as medicinal because plants are good for you. <laughs> the next time someone sure. says that to you, be like, sugar cane. <laughs> yeah. Um, turns out not all plants are good for you. Mm-hmm. Even the ones that aren't toxic, they're not all good for you. Sad. Sad but true. What can you say? But yeah, so there we go. So uh, medieval candies and treats. They did have actual candy made out of sugar. Uh, but they also had treats that were more of the bread variety that they passed out because I guess they weren't worried that. I mean, if you're giving alms for charity to try and get people out of purgatory, you are presumably not going to be putting razor blades in your soul cakes. Which, again, people don't actually do that. But Right. <laughs> yeah. Also, you didn't have razor blades back then. Cause, Another you know, problem here. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> You had razors, but that's, you know, it would probably stick out even from a soul cake in the Middle Ages. <laughs> yes. And not something everybody had around their house anyway, so. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> and also they were expensive. You would not be, like, right. handing them out randomly. Right. Although, I mean, that'd be a real interesting gift to give someone, I guess. But yeah. Anyhow. Um, yeah, anyhow, I'm times hungry though, now. Really, all around. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Yay. And by the way, you can find online, of course, all this stuff. Like, as I said, people do still make soul cake. So that's mm-hmm. still a thing that happens. You can look up modern recipes. They look very tasty. They do look kind of sconish these days, not surprisingly. Um, but of course, they're made slightly differently. So they're technically not scones. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to check it out. Licorice. You can get real licorice. Probably I don't not going to check that out. You can get marshmallow out. with real marshmallow. I'm actually not sure I, about that. Okay. Um, Anne Reardon, who does a YouTube channel called How to Cook That, but she's also 
done a number of videos where she cooked things from like the form of curry and other Ooh, very yes, early yes. manuscripts. I did yeah. see her make um, candy using actual marshmallow root. Oh, wow. Oh, um, that's fantastic. Yeah. So there you go. I don't believe her family members that she made try it were super we're enthusiastic. Super into it. Yeah. <laughs> but. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's an interesting, you know, it's an interesting process. And I'll try to oh, sure. throw a link to her video in our awesome. notes because yeah. it's, you know, it's kind of fun to watch. Yes. Yeah, and before you try to make sugar candy yourself, uh, definitely read a lot about it, because it's yeah. super... I mean, it's hard, but also it's very dangerous if you do not know what you're doing. Because boiling sugar, like, you do not mess with that. Just, candy makers yeah. are like... Get a good yeah. thermometer. <laughs> oh, yeah, and yeah. that's really that's really what you need. Um, you know, cook, cook and the just sugar... Be the right temperature and <laughs> yes. keep your kids out of the kitchen, basically. Yes. Oof. Yeah. But also, don't keep your kids too much out of the kitchen because that's what my mom did, and now I'm terrified of sugar syrup. So I don't know. Oh, there's right. got to be so... an in between there. Right. There you go. <laughs> if I yes, figure it out, I'll let you know. Right. Awesome. All right, we're gonna call okay. it there. Have a happy Halloween, everybody, and enjoy eating as much candy as you possibly can stand, but also brush your teeth afterwards. Um, and I don't know, don't make it an everyday thing because it is not super great for your health long term, probably. Not medicinal. It's not it medicinal, out. yeah. Unfortunately. Um, <laughs> if you want to find us on the internet, you can look at the Ask a Medievalist. Twitter account. You can look at our website, which is askamedievalist.com. You can look at our Facebook page, which is Ask a Medievalist. I think it's facebook.com slash askamedievalist. And uh, once you're done looking for it, uh, tell a friend about us or review us or something. And have fun. Keep washing your hands and keep it medieval. Ask a Medievalist is a production of This Can't Be That Hard Studios and is not endorsed, acknowledged, or condoned by Virginia Commonwealth University or any of its constituent departments. Our theme music is Veni Veni Venias from Carmina Burana by Carl Orff, performed by the MIT Concert Choir and licensed under a Creative Commons attributional non-commercial license version 3.0. If you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, why not tell a friend? For more on today's topic, including sources, annotations, and corrections, visit our website at www.askamedievalist.com. And if you have questions, feel free to drop us an email at questions at askamedievalist.com. 